Let's sing you a Christmas carol. Um, sure. Okay, here we go. Ready? <clears throat> One, two, three, four, five, six, four. On your knees, oh, hear the angel voices of night divine. Scale of one to ten, how good was that? It's good. What do you, think? Yeah. you tried, so I'll give you a seven. A seven? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Merry right. Christmas. Thanks. Thanks. Merry Thank Christmas. How many of you would much rather hear the children sing? Amen. Yeah. Two, and those two guys with Ryan, those are the worship pastors. So God help us all. I was on vacation, so I have no responsibility of that whatsoever. It's good to see you. I hope, is everybody having a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Everybody eating a lot? Good? No? Hmm? I'm up 8.7 pounds. No joke. I got on the scales this morning. I'm proud of myself. That's like the birth weight for a good-sized baby, isn't it? And um, it started the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And uh, the Wilson family were so kind to bring by an apple pie that was warm. You know, like when somebody gives you a pie, right here you are. Oh, I'm going to give you a big applause right there. So, yeah, give the Wilson family a big applause. Right here we go. And it's warm. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And, and they didn't just bring a pie. They brought ice cream. And it was not that cheap ice milk stuff that you get like three for a dollar or whatever. It's the really good and the nice carton. And wow. And so I looked at the staff. And this is what I do this time of the year. I kind of revert to a toddler. And I went, it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Then later on that day, Oh, God bless Pam Gable. I don't know if you know Pam Gable, but she is such a blessing to the body of Christ because she makes these iced sugar cookies that are to die for. I mean, they're just, anybody else like, like Christmas cookies, like the sugar cookies that have the icing on top? Not the hard ones that like will break your teeth at Starbucks. You have to soak them. You know what I'm talking about. Mm, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. So, but, but these are awesome. And so she said, Pastor, they don't look all that great. But I said, Pam. They taste amazing. And there's multiple attempts and opportunities for you to try again before the Christmas season is over. <laughs> They're awesome. And again, to the staff, I said, mine. So I, I had a dozen, these are huge cookies. They're like the size of men's heads. And, and I, 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 I had a dozen of them by the time, wow. Tammy's like, what do you want for dinner? I don't know, Tammy. I've had apple pie, ice cream, and sugar cookies. I'm not really hungry. Just give me a couple of hours. And, and so that began, and then it's just kind of been this 
You know, like during this time of the year, I'm just kind of like, whatever I want, I just kind of eat, which I don't really know how that's any different than any other time of the year, right? So I thank God for pants that have a little bit of elastic in the waistband. I said Sanzibel in the last service, and nobody knew what I was talking about. And so does anybody know what Sanzibel's? Yeah, a couple of people are. Yeah, you got it right. So you got a little, they, they, they would give, man. They would stretch, right? And so, you know, for us full-figured guys. And, and so I just want to let you know, as the month progresses, if you see me in new clothes, it's because I have to do that. <laughs> the colors will get more and more solid and more and more darker. And I probably will be completely in black by the time Christmas Eve rolls around because black hides a multitude of sin. Amen? When it comes to fashion, right? That and Spanx. Thank God for Spanx. It's like a can of biscuits. Just pops, right? That's it. So whatever you got to do to make it work. This is so true. I see people that are like at the Alvin campus or the West campus, and here's what they say to me. Wow, you're way smaller in person than you are on the screen. I say, oh, you mean like I look tall? No, you look wide, wide. And I go, oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. But... So how big do I look? So, and I see I've got this little thing going right here. If I could just do this the whole time. But I can't. So anyhow, if you have your Bibles, let's do something spiritual for a few minutes. I'm really hungry, and I need some food. And so, yeah. So, uh, but if you take your Bibles, if you have them, and turn with me to the book of Lamentations, which is in the Old Testament. And uh, page, it's page 726 in my Bible, if that helps you at all. You may need to go to the table of contents. But I'm going to get to there in just a minute. But we're in this series called Carols. And this whole month, we're going to look at, at some very well-known Christmas carols and uh, really talk about that connection to the story of Christ and, and even to how it deals with us today. Uh, oh, Holy Night, the song that you just heard the, the kids sing was a Christmas carol that was written in the mid-1800s by a poet-slash-wine merchant named uh, Placide Capot. And he was not a Christ follower. Matter of fact, history would let us know that his character was probably opposite of what it would mean to follow Jesus. And, but he was commissioned by the Catholic priest because of his poetic writing ability to write a poem uh, based off of Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, The Birth of Christ. And so he wrote this poem. He, Placide uh, Capot, was so in love with this poem that he wrote that he got a friend of his who was not a Christ follower as well uh, and a musician, and they put music to his poem, to his lyrics, and thus the song, O Holy Night, was, uh, was born. And uh, it w became a classic in the church, especially the Catholic church, and in 1906, it was the first song to be broadcast on radio. So this powerful, powerful, powerful uh, song. And, but there's a phrase in the song that I just want to kind of spend some time on today. And I'm going to connect this to the Christmas story, to the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament, and back around to Christmas. It's the phrase, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A weary world rejoices. If ever that was true of a people, it's true of us. If ever it was true of a time, it's true of now. We have, in this first world nation that you and I live in, we have more money than we've ever had 
collectively. We have more resource. We have more access. We have more knowledge. We have more technology. We have more of everything and anything. Yet we have all of these things, yet we are more unhappy, if you would let me use, say it that way. We deal with more depression. We deal with more fatigue. We deal with more anxiety. We deal with more frustration than probably any other time. We're more divided, even as a country, than any other time. There's, there are racial divides. I mean, Ferguson, Missouri, if you're a white American, what do you say to that? If you're a black American, what do you say to that? Everybody wants to caricature you to one side or another. I mean, even just the simple fact of saying that out loud, there's a certain amount of tenseness that fills into a room. Where is he going to go with this? What's he going to say? Sexual orientation, gender orientation, political affiliation, religious affiliation. Is there really only one road to lead to God or as many roads lead to God? Temperance and tolerance and all the buzzwords that we live with. There is so much. We just don't even know. We don't, sometimes don't even know how we feel about things and much less what to say and how to react and how to respond. Yet we have more than we've ever had, but yet we're more wearisome. And if you don't think people aren't weary, just go to the mall today and try to get a parking place. You will get more Hawaiian hellos than you can shake a stick at. And if you don't know what a Hawaiian hello is, just see me after the service. I'll explain. We're all in a hurry. We're all going here and there and doing this and that. And, and, and not to mention, oh my goodness, when are they going to get the roadways right in Milwaukee? I mean, just give me a lane to drive in. Amen? You know what I'm talking? And it just backs up and you're like, is there an accident? No, it's just we decided to do construction in December. I thought it was too cold to do this. Anyhow, so, I mean, you just, just, do you understand? There's just always something going here, there. Turn on the news, read it in the paper. Uh, just watch social media. It's just, and in, and in developing countries, they're just trying to scrape through to be able to, to get clean drinking water or to feed their families or just to put a roof over their head. And about the time that they feel like they've got it, then a tsunami, a natural disaster, uh, something happens, a political uprising it's the world that we live in. It's, it's a weary, weary, weary world. And so what do we do with that? Well, I, again, I, I, I think this song describes, and what we're going to talk about today is probably going to address this more so than anything. Because my prayer this Christmas season is that you and I, who have experienced this thrill of hope, that it would be ignited in us in such a way that it would be contagious to anybody who gets around you. Like a a beautiful fragrance, like a, a great perfume or a great cologne. That without speaking, they would sense a peace that passes understanding that's resident in your life. A joy that's undeniable that just kind of bubbles out of you naturally. A hope that just is there in the middle of all the chaos, in the middle of all the frustration, in the middle of all the questions that they'd realize when I mean they, I mean people that are far away from God. Not that you and I are better, 
Not that you and I have it all figured out. Quite frankly, the older I get, the more questions that I have. Not questions about God, not questions about the Bible. Quite frankly, the more I read the Bible and the, and, and the more that I, I walk with Jesus, the more convinced I am that he is the way and the truth and the life. That I lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, I would fall. But I have more questions about us, about humanity. Sometimes about God, why are you allowing this to happen here or this to happen there? Or God, I don't know how to close the loop on this. Or God, I'm asked this question and I don't really know the answer. And God, I, I feel sometimes as a pastor like I need to have an S on my chest for super pastor. I just need to have every theological answer. And I don't. My prayer is that we would not only just experience that thrill of hope, but that we would be carriers of that during this Christmas season. Because this is what it's all about. Limitations. It was written in 586 B.C. And that'll be really important in just a minute. The author, the guy that's speaking here is a prophet of God. That's how God spoke in the Old Testament. His name was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, basically this book, Lamentations, it's where we get the word lament. He is lamenting the loss. He's grieving the loss of the destruction of the capital city of Jerusalem and of the great nation of Israel. Matter of fact, if you were to talk to the Jews, they're still lamenting that loss to today. That's why there's the conflict with the Palestinians and with the Israelis. It goes back to this. They're still looking for the Messiah to come that will establish Israel as God's chosen people and will establish Israel not just as a capital city for Jerusalem, but for the world. And Jeremiah in chapters 1 and chapters 2, uh, this book Lamentations is not a book you want to read on a dark, gloomy day because it's not real bright and cheery. It's very like, I shaved my legs for this. Like It's really like, whoa, this guy really needs some Zoloft or something. He's just really depressed and very, very, very perplexed. But in chapter 3, he begins to turn and he begins to pronounce some things and he begins to speak some things and you begin to see really kind of the same words that we just read and that we just heard. A thrill of hope for a weary world rejoices. Yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I want, I want to read this for you in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen, but if you do, you can follow along with me. <clears throat> and I well remember them. My soul is downcast within me, Jeremiah says. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. I love these next words. For they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, Lord, is the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. For the Lord is good to those who love and whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is an incredible amount of hope when we experience this new and glorious morn that comes with Christ. But as Jeremiah is writing these words, Christ has not yet come. I want to stop here just for a second and just kind of give you kind of a theological reflection. For those of you that read the Bible on a regular basis, 
Uh, this is a fascinating thing to me, and, and this is one of the things I reason why I encourage it. It's because the Bible is kind of like a, a fine diamond. It's kind of like you, you take it and, and you can turn it and, and light will reflect, reflect off of it. And, and in doing so, you will see angles and colors and perspectives that you did not see the last time that you read it. You can read a passage a dozen times, and on that 13th time, all of a sudden, there's something that comes out of that passage. The Holy Spirit illuminates something. It's, there, 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 there's a reflection, a refraction of light, of illumination that comes out of a passage that you've never seen before. And there are themes all throughout Scripture. There are, it's, like a, it's like a thread that's throughout the tapestry. And these constant themes are set up because God is, he's, he's wanting to show his characteristics. He's wanting to, to show who he is. He's trying to reveal himself to humanity. And one of those themes is salvation. And when you say the word salvation to evangelical Christians, they, especially in, in the West, we, we say, oh yeah, I get that. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would be saved. Salvation. And that's true. But salvation's bigger than that. I don't mean to mess your theology up, but God all the way, way back when sin entered the world began to pronounce that salvation would come through Christ. So the first messianic prophecy of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. But from there, he begins to illustrate it through people and through, his, and through the nation of Israel of how he will save. And, and it's, it's, this, it's this rhythm that God wants to show that we are lost and, and we need salvation, and he is our Savior. We are lost, we need salvation, and he is our Savior. We are lost, we're in need of salvation, he is our Savior. Noah, in the ark, God saved humanity through the ark. It's a salvation, it's a way. Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel needed saving, God was his salvation, and he shut the mouths of the lions. David before Goliath, uh, 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 Joseph as he goes and brings the nation of Israel into, into power, into Egypt. Moses as he leads the nation of, of, of Israel out of bondage and slavery into the promised land. Joshua as he leads the nation of Israel into the promised land, and then eventually Eventually, Jesus, as he comes, and he is the true fruition of what we would call these Christ types, these Christophanies of the Old Testament, these literary foreshadowings, if you would, of salvation. God continues to show his people, I am the Savior, I am the Savior, I am the Savior. And then in Matthew's gospel, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we hear the cry of this newborn babe who was born of a virgin and, and, and wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And it's the hope for the world. And his name is Emmanuel. God is with us. Hope. Oh. It's this rhythm of salvation. And the reason why I'm saying that, because what's interesting here that Jeremiah is writing these words, speaking these words from God to the nation of Israel, is God will speak for another 186 years, and then he will be silent for 400 years before we began to read what's written in the book of Matthew. God will speak through prophets like Malachi and minor prophets and, 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 and prophets like Jeremiah. And he will speak to the people. And, and, and it'll be messages like turn back to God and turn your attention to God. God is your salvation. Even as we read this, Jeremiah himself says that the Lord is my portion. He's my salvation. Yet Christ has not yet appeared. Why? 
Because it's God declaring to the people, I am your Savior. I am your God. And in 186 years, I, everything's going to go dark. And when it goes dark, it'll go dark for 400 years. And you will wonder, where am I? And I will be the same because I'm, I am today, yesterday, and forever the same. But I will pierce the darkness with the cry of a child, and his name will be called Jesus. And he will be the salvation of mankind and the fruition of everything that I brought this nation through. A thrill of hope. A new and glorious morn. That's exactly what Jesus is, isn't he? Jesus is exactly what you and I need. Exactly what we need. Not nothing more, nothing less. Exactly what we need. Look at how Jeremiah says it in verse 24. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Scholars would say that this Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait, is a reference to the manna that God provided for the nation of Israel when they were in the desert after they had left Egypt and before they went to the promised land. Again, manna, bread, would appear daily, almost like dew on the ground. And it was only good for one day. So if you tried to store it for two days, it wouldn't last unless it was the Sabbath. And that bread would last for two days and then it would rot. It would not work. It would be spoiled if you would. Again, it's another one of those Lines, those rhythms, those themes that are throughout Scripture. That God is your portion today. That he's what you need today. Notice when God created the heavens and the earth, he did it in day-tight compartments. Six days. And on the seventh, he rested. The nation of Israel, he leads them in days. Every day I'm going to provide for you. Every day you get up, I'm going to provide for you. Every day I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to prove myself. Every single day I'm going to provide. And God works in these day-tight compartments. We even see Jesus. He says, hey, when you are praying to the Father, pray in this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because he will go on to explain, and so will Paul go on to explain, that yesterday's gone, and tomorrow has not come, and all I have is today. Carp diem. To seize the moment today. To live in the moment today. And here's what I want you to understand, that Jeremiah is saying to us, that Jesus Christ is what you need today. He is a hope for your life today. He's a hope for your marriage today. He's a hope for your future today. He's the hope for your finances today. He's the hope for a weary soul today. Today. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. Today. Look, tomorrow may never come. You and I may not make it to tomorrow. If we do, the Packers will whoop the Falcons. But that's tomorrow. And yesterday's gone. Why are you worried about yesterday? You can't do anything about it. But the enemy of your soul wants to bring up yesterday every day in your life, doesn't he? And God says, no. I'm the God of today. I'm the God of what you need now. I'm here for you now. And that's exactly what we need. 
Jesus is exactly what we need. Look, if your marriage is in trouble, I don't mean to try to, you go, well, yeah, I get it, man. I'm at church, and the answer is going to be Jesus, and I get that. No, 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 no. You're missing the point. The point is, is that God's your portion. The, the point is, is that God's whatever you need him to be. Again, go back to the Bible. It's amazing. When Moses stands before God and he says, look, I'm going to go to the most powerful man on the face of the planet, Pharaoh. And I'm going to tell him to let three million Jews, his entire workforce, go. Which means all those who are laid up in these palatial palaces will have to get off of their ivory stoops and go to work. God, that's not going to work. Whose authority am I going to go into? And he says, you will go in the authority of me. And he says it like this. For I am the I am. Which means, Moses, I am whatever you need me to be. You need me to be a healer, I'm a healer. You need me to be a provider, I'm a provider. You need me to be a protector, I'm a protector. You need me to be the one that will make a way where there is no way, I'll be the way maker. Whatever it is, I am the solution. Folks, that's what Jesus is. Now, whether or not you're cashing in on that is between you and God, but I'm telling you, that's the power in Jesus. That's the hope that a weary world needs, that Jesus is exactly what we need. In this sin-sick world, in this weary world, in, in this world where we're exasperated and we're, we're, we're exhausted at all ends, he's the answer. And the beautiful part of it is John says in his gospel, chapter 15, it's not in my doing, but it's in my being that God becomes exalted. It's not in my strength, but in my weakness that God is made perfect. It's not in my strong, mighty talents and gifts and ability. It's when I'm a dismal failure and I'm just a puddle of tears on the floor. That's when God is made strong in my life. That's the God we serve. I'm going to get you shouting in a minute. I'm just going to tell you. If I had a Hammond B organ and a black choir, we'd have some church up in here. I'm just going to tell you. It's the truth, though, because we don't, we, we just kind of cognitively go, yeah, 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 yeah. Get. No! He's the hope. I got to move on. I'm getting hungry. He's the hope to keep, to keep going. He's not just what I need. He's the hope to keep going. He's the thrill of hope that a weary world rejoices. That's the Christmas story. That's it. Look at it in verse 25. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. They say you can live 40 days without food. I don't know. Never been there. I think it's hard to live 40 minutes, but anyhow. Eight days without water, four minutes without oxygen. But you can only live seconds without hope. Maybe you're here today and you go, man, Aaron, I, I don't have any hope. I just want to tell you, the church isn't your hope. I'm not your hope. But Jesus is. And I encourage you. You may be kicking tires on this thing called faith. Take the time you need to take. But when you come to the place where you realize that he is the answer, in that moment, all you have to do, you don't need me or anybody else. 
According to Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, you will be saved. God will come in and fill your heart and in your life. And he will change you from the inside out. It's not about joining a church. It's not about knowing the pastor. It's not about being a church member. It has nothing to do with any of those things. It has to do with the fact, not do you know the story of Jesus, but do you know Jesus? Revelation chapter 3 says that Jesus stands at the door of every man's heart and he knocks. And if you'll open the door and you'll invite him to come in, he will come in and he will eat with you. Again, eating is way more spiritual than you people give it credit. He wants a relationship, not religion. Religion will kill you. Do you understand that? Religion will kill you. The doctrines made by men will kill you. They will choke the life out of you. But relationship with Jesus will set you free. The word of God will set you free. The hope that's in Christ Jesus will set you free. Not tomorrow, today. And I think sometimes even as Christ followers, we get so consumed with the temporal world in which we live in that we forget that there is a heaven to gain. We forget that this world is not our home. We forget that this is but a vapor. That this life that we have is so short. It's here today, then it's gone. And we lose hope. We get our eyes on so many other things. You know, but pastor, I'm just human. I get that. I mean, I lost somebody this year, and so this is just not a great time. I I, I get that. You know, I'm I'm mourning the loss of this. This has just been a really tough. I'm ready for this year to be over with. Maybe 2015 will be better, and I understand that. But my question to you is, have you lost your hope? Our hope is not built in buildings. Our hope is not built in people. Our hope is not placed in money. Our hope is not placed in our jobs. Our hope is not placed in our academics. Our hope is not placed in even our man-made theologies. Our hope is built upon Jesus Christ and nothing less. Hebrews says it this way in chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. Why would he tell us to hold on to it, to the, the faith that we pro- profess, that our faith in Jesus Christ? Why, do we have to, why, why would he tell us? Because sometimes in living this life, it's tough and it's hard and it's not easy. Even following Jesus, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And we lose sight of it. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us, don't give up. Don't lose the hope. Go back to it. Again, it, again, just like the writer said, yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Remember the day that you invited Jesus into your heart. Remember the day that he took your sins and he cast them as far as the east is from the west. Remember that joy that filled your heart, that peace that passed understanding that consumed you, and, and, and just that radiating presence of God that you had never felt before. The hope that's in Christ. I think sometimes we miss that. We, 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 we miss the fact that the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. We, we, you, you understand this, because I, 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 think, I think sometimes we kind of glaze over this, because we just kind of go, well, you know, it's just natural for me to feel lonely. 
Well, that may be natural in a human condition, but it's not what God wants for you. Well, how can you be certain of that? Well, because God himself has never been alone. You think about that. God has never been alone, ever. The triune God had three in one, three distinct persons in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Never. Let us, plural pronoun, make man, you and I, in our plural pronoun image, God said. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God himself said, hey, it's not, ma- it's not good that man should be alone. Why are you talking about loneliness? Because this is one of the things that drains the hope out of us. We feel alone. We feel like nobody cares. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he's suspended between heaven and earth and before he dies for the sins of humanity, what does he do? God, where are you? Go back to the original Greek. My father, why hast thou forsaken me? I know what I'm doing, dying for the sins of humanity, but where are you? Why have you left me alone? Why would Jesus express that? Because for the first time in his existence, before time began and before it ended, he'd never been alone. God the Father doesn't understand that. That's the reason why Jesus looks at the disciples and says, guys, I'm going to be with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. I know what it's like to be alone. And I'm telling you, I'm the hope of the world. What, John, you're going to write about, I am the word that will become flesh and I dwell among you. And so when I leave, I'm not leaving you alone. The Holy Spirit will be with you. Mm, I'm telling you, I'm about to get it worked up here in a minute. This is awesome. Because before that time, God's up in the heavens, right? God worked with, walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day center of the earth, and then God basically only communed through man once a year, basically through the tabernacle, through the Holy of Holies, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, and he interacted with the high priest. And occasionally, he would talk to mankind. Enoch, he translated him to heaven. He never died. He goes to heaven. Moses has face-to-face, not quite face-to-face, but he gets to see, the Bible says, the hinder parts of God because he, couldn't, he, could, not, and he could not take on the glory of God and his greatness. God speaks through certain people. And he has angelic visits with people like Abraham. But he's never been able to touch humanity until Jesus comes to earth, the Christmas story. And in that moment, he gets to interact. And Jesus understands what loneliness is about. And he understands what it's like to live this life. And he understands because he's 100% God, but he's 100% man. And And in his humanity, he's not omnipresent, which means he cannot be everywhere at all times. God has, and the Holy Spirit is, but he could have picked that up. But, but in his humanity, he's limited by that while he's on this planet for 33 years. Not now, but then he was. And so he says, when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to live in your heart. Why is that important? Because you're never alone. You're never alone. God wants you to know you're never alone. There's always hope that he hears you. Jesus is as close as the very mention of his name, but the Holy Spirit, and sometimes we just dismiss it, and we treat the Holy Spirit like an it. And we think, well, the time the Holy Spirit should show up is on church on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is the least amount of time that you and I need the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we have each other. Well, why is that important? Because Matthew 18, 19 says, where two or more are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. So Jesus is in the room. 
Where I need the Holy Spirit is when I'm by myself and I'm having to deal with a confrontation in my office. When I'm by myself on the factory floor. When I'm by myself and I'm going to pick up the kids. When I'm by myself and my marriage is falling apart. When I'm by myself at the hospital and my baby's sick in the ICU and I need God. That's when I need the Holy Spirit. And the reality is, the good news is, that's when he's there. He doesn't just live up here. He lives in here. It's the hope of glory. It's the new day that dawns, that comes out. It's that thrill of hope that a weary world needs. Amen. He's the help that we're all seeking. He's it. It's Jesus. Look at verse 26. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. He's the hope. He's the hope. Whether you're far away from God and you need to make things right, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, forgive me my sins. I believe that you are who the Bible says you are. He's the hope. Whether you're a Christ follower that's just gotten overwhelmed with life, he's the hope. Whether you're just frustrated with yourself or maybe God's not moving as fast as what you'd like, we've all been there before. And if you haven't, hang on, it'll happen to you too. He's the hope. But I go back to what he says. He's the hope today. He's the hope today. Not tomorrow, today. Verse 23. Your mercies, your compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Therefore, for the Lord is my portion, I will wait on him. Today. Not tomorrow, today. It's interesting that he's saying this, and it will be close to 600 years before he sees the fruition of his words. Today. Don't underestimate the power that one day can bring with Christ. Lazarus was dead in the ground, in the grave for four days. But one day Jesus showed up. And said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says that this dead man was raised to life and began to walk out of the grave. Don't ever underestimate the power of what one day can do through Jesus. The Bible tells us of a woman who had had this issue with bleeding for 12 years and had been to doctors and physicians and nobody could help her. And she said, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I could be made whole. And in a crowd full of people, she reaches out in a desperate attempt and her faith is released and she grabs a hold of the hem of his garment and Jesus stops in the middle of the crowd and says, somebody touched me. And a smart aleck apostle says, no joke, Sherlock, there's a lot of people here. Read it, it's there. Jesus there are so many people here. Yeah, there's tons of people that are touching you. He goes, no, no, you don't understand. I felt healing and virtue flow from my body. Where is she? And in one moment, what doctors could not do, Jesus did. A lame man's brought to Jesus. Scholars tell us about 38, 36 years of age. Was lame from birth. And in one moment with Jesus, he looks at him and says, rise and walk. And the man stood up, rolled up his mat, and walked out the door. 
That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. I, I just want to remind all of us. That's the God that we serve. This was one of those mornings where I woke up early. I do this from time to time. Not very often. I try not to make a habit out of it. Because it doesn't work with my good looks. Because it gives some bags out of my eyes. But it was 4 o'clock this morning. I just I woke up. And at 4 a.m., I, I go downstairs, put on the coffee. And I'm there about the time that the sun in a couple hours starts. I'm just kind of prepping and processing for the service. And I'm there about the time that the sun is coming up. And the way my little office is there in the front of the house, it faces one of the windows, faces the east. And I don't know if you were up early this morning, but it was just beautiful. I mean, it was just, it was beautiful. It's one of those crisp mornings. And it was the most beautiful colors of red and fuchsia and orange and just lit up the sky. And I'm just sitting there drinking my cup of coffee with my Razorback house slippers on. Don't hate. And this, what I'm preaching on today, kind of hit me. The Bible says one day the trumpet of the Lord will sound and time will be no more. One day, looking out the direction of that window, in the east, the Bible says, that Jesus will appear. John the Revelator says he'll be like coming on a white horse. It, there'll be a day that he'll come, and, and the Bible says that, that there'll be a man in the cloud with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand, and he will harvest the earth, and then the end shall come. The Bible says that when the trumpet of the Lord on that one day will sound, and time will be no more, that the earth will give up its dead, those of us that are in Christ Jesus. So everyone who's been a Christ follower, who's ever died, wherever they've, been, wherever they've died, the earth will give up its dead. So I don't know anything about this cemetery. I don't know anything about any of this. But this has been like the place that I've always been fascinated with since I've lived here for a dozen years. Donjus Bay Road between Germantown and Mequon, there's a cemetery called Resurrection Cemetery. I told Tammy, I said, you know, if you're going to bury me somewhere, that'd be kind of be a cool place to be buried because that's exactly what's going to happen. And the Bible says that the earth will give up the dead and the dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us that remain will be caught up in the air and forevermore we shall be with him. Hope that this world isn't our home. Hope. Maybe we were never created to save this planet. Maybe we were designed to leave it. Hope that there is a heaven to gain. Hope that we're not alone. Hope that this weary world needs, that there's a new dawn, that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hope that he did die for my sins and that I don't have to be righteous and I don't have to be perfect and I don't have to be always on. Hope that only comes from him, amen? Hope. So today, I just want to close you know, the author of O Holy Night knew the story of the birth of Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. 
And millions of people will celebrate the birth of Jesus this month. But do they really know the story? And you may know the story of Jesus, but do you know Jesus? I want to just pray with you today. The first thing I want to do is pray that, first of all, that you will, that God will help all of us just to be agents of that hope. That that hope of Jesus is in us will just permeate from us. We don't have to say anything. Just, and, and not, in a, not in a, I'm better than you. No, 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 no. But in just a sweet, fragrant way that God will cross our paths with people and coworkers and friends and family members that are having a rough way to go. And he'll give us the words to say. And we'll be able just to present that hope. I also want to pray today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, to give you an opportunity to invite him into your heart and into your life. And I want to start there. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to give you an opportunity. And I'm just going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. And praying the prayer doesn't save you, but if you believe the prayer that you're praying, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, you will be saved. And the hope that the weary world rejoices for will fill your heart and your life. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today, everybody across this room? If you're here today and you go, man, Aaron, I don't know, Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, and I want to invite him into my heart and into my life. I've never done that. I want to give my life to him. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And I'm going to ask those of you that have prayed this prayer before to lend your voice with those that are praying this prayer for the very first time. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. I believe that you, Jesus, are the hope of the world. Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, and rose again, just like the Bible says. I ask you, Jesus, to take my sins away, to make my heart your home, and be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.